episode 89 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. My name is Mike. I'm a, currently a C-32 pilot and have experience in the C-17s. What is going on, AV Nation? Welcome back to episode 89 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I'm your host. Today, I'm talking with Mike from at Vectors the Final. If you don't follow Mike on Instagram, you need to follow him right now. Stop whatever you're doing, pause the podcast, go to Instagram, search Vectors underscore two underscore final and be prepared to laugh. Now, you're probably only going to laugh if you like dad jokes because that is all he has and he has some other good stuff too, but check him out. Nonetheless, you will truly enjoy it. And he also has a pretty cool job, which you're getting ready to talk about right now. Nation, if you like today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot, our website, pilotthepilothq.com, and our Patreon if you want to support us, which we truly, truly appreciate and couldn't create this content without our supporters on Patreon, patreon.com slash pilotthepilot. Aviation, I want to keep you any longer. So without any further ado, here's Mike from Vectors to Final. Mike, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, Justin, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you no uh, problem, getting invited on this. Yeah, I'm excited to, to have you on and the, the infamous Mike with the, the great dad jokes and uh, uh, impersonating everyone's pictures online. <laughs> Dude, I just hope I live up to the hype. I mean, you talked me up in your story today and it's going to be disappointing when everybody finds <laughs> out that a lot funnier online than I am in person. Yeah. Everyone's like, I was, someone made a joke saying you have a ghostwriter and you're really boring in person. So, like, so then I was starting to spread that around. <laughs> oh, oh, 100%. No, it's, it's, it's my Google skills for finding jokes. Um, but it's mostly, I think it's mostly my filter that I can find stuff because a lot of my jokes are that I find are not appropriate, which That's, is yeah. not going to be good for Instagram in my account. Yeah, not good. Well, cool, man. Either way, like I said, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. You you have a cool Instagram page and I think Thank everyone you. should follow you. Check it out. Uh, humor and aviation is needed, obviously. You know, aviation, it's very serious, but I love humor side of it. And I love that you are able to kind of poke fun at some stuff and have some cool little captions too. Thanks though. Yeah, I started it uh, kind of because I looked at a lot of other Instagram pages uh, and everybody has the cockpit photos or the flight attendant photos. And then I started thinking about like, well, can I combine the two? And then uh, on one of my deployments, I just made a goal of like, hey, how how many photos can I take? How, you know, obviously in not critical phases of flight, you know, who can I make fun of and, and poke fun at? And uh yeah, it's it's grown to where it's you know I'm at almost thirteen thousand now, and it's a it's a lot of fun to uh, to try to recreate some, especially the flight attendant photos, is what I think people haven't haven't messed with yet. <laughs> it's an honor to be recreated by you, right? Yeah, well, I don't know. I get, I get <laughs> people's submissions. People are asking me to do theirs. Um, so you know, I welcome you know if people have a good idea. Sometimes some are are not so easy to recreate, um, like a helicopter photo. I'm like, dude, I can't. There's no way I could do that on a C17 or a C32. But I hear uh, excuses. Yeah, All right, man. Okay. I'm yeah, going, I'm all I hear like, is excuses. I'll go talk yeah. to like Marie and see what I can do. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you gotta <laughs> go join. Go uh, start flying helicopters. You know, sign up for more time in the military, which I'm sure is just what you want to do, just for your Instagram page, right? Yeah, exactly, dude. If it gets me followers, like that's gotta be a do it uh, for the right. IG, man. Yeah, that'll, yeah, I'll put that on my next performance report. There you go. Yeah, I did it for the IG. Oh, good job. We yeah. appreciate that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and here's your exit. Yeah. Yeah, and here you go. <laughs> Well, cool, man. Uh, I want to go ahead and get started a little bit. I want to know more about you, why you got in aviation. So what was the original inspiration for you to start flying? Honestly, it is uh, not romantic at all. I Both my parents were, were military officers, so I knew I wanted to go to uh, join the Air Force. Uh, I went to the Air Force Academy following my dad's footsteps, and then I had really poor eyesight. So when I was at the Academy, even growing up, Aviation was not something on my in my cross check at all. I did not think I could be a pilot. Uh, while I was at the academy, I got introduced to the glider program that they have out there in Colorado Springs. So we went from learning how to solo a glider, and then I actually became a glider instructor pilot. So then I uh, upgraded over about a semester, and then would teach other cadets and even other officers how to solo um, the aircraft, and then even would teach the instructor. So I'd instruct the instructors later on to make more instructors. Um, and that kind of got me, you know, interested in aviation and air force flying. And, um, honestly, I was kind of excited to wear a flight suit and not, you know, the other uniform all the time. Um, so that was motivating. And then while I was at the Academy, they, uh, let me do PRK, which was a eye surgery, a little bit more intensive form of LASIK, corrected my vision. And then at graduation, I was allowed to kind of select, uh, what job I wanted post-graduation. 
um, I was kind of tossing it up between maybe med school or uh, maybe some other type of, of job. And I knew that pilot training was kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity, especially flying for the military. And that uh, maybe med school, I could, you know, kick the can down the road or do that at some other time. So, huh. well, if you, know, you need to talk to anyone about medical school, my wife's in medical school right now. And I would probably say, don't do it. <laughs> it's worth it one day. But right now, yeah, that's what, it's rough. That's when I talk to uh, some other friends that are, you know, PA school or they're surgeons, and they're like, "Dude, this is," you know, and seeing their their, um, you know, how often they're on call and they're sitting there in the hospital. I'm like, that sounds worse than what we're doing. Yeah. So yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, we're, she's just in the the medical part, medical school part of it, and it's intense, man. All she does is study. So flying seems to be more fun, and you already threw the hardest part. You already got all your ratings. So I mean, now you're just exactly, enjoying yeah. it, right? And it's a way better, it's a way better view, right? Like I'd rather way sit, better. View. Uh, you know, at 30,000 feet, looking out at sunsets, like somebody coughing face in yeah. a hospital. But a doctor might be able to fly in the back of a private jet because they make so much money. So <laughs> there's, there's some pros and cons too. Um, talk a little bit about the Air Force. Why the Air Force? I know you said your dad was in the Air Force, but was it always the Air Force, like Air Force and only Air Force, or would you have joined any branch in the military? Um, yeah, both my parents were Air Force. Um, my mom and my dad were both Air Force officers. Um, it was, yeah, it was definitely Air Force. I just grew up, shoot, all the way through my senior year of high school around uh, the Air Force and Air Force bases and overseas and um, in the States. And it was, it wasn't really a question um, for me at all. It was, I didn't, I, I'd been around some friends that were uh, uh, Marine Corps brats, is what we called it, like dudes that um, had parents that were Marine Corps officers uh, or, or Army brats, had some other family members that were Navy and Army, but. Uh, the Air Force in general just seemed to have a better quality of life. Uh, so that was a, a draw for me. And then I didn't really, you know, change his heart. So I kind of liked moving around every two years. I liked uh, the driving on base and seeing everybody in the Air Force uniform. So it was kind of just a natural selection for me to, to follow that path. Yeah, it's a complete different world. Like you're, the way you grew up in your world, I feel like we, we grew up in two completely separate worlds. Like I've never been on a base before. I, my, both my parents are civilians. They weren't in the military. So it's funny how the influences you have in your life can not necessarily push you, but can guide you down a certain path. Like maybe if you weren't in a military family, maybe you wouldn't want to go to the military, but it'd be interesting to see if you still found aviation. Oh, totally. Yeah. I don't know that I would have. Cause, and then even um, interesting for some people that don't know about the Air Force, like not every Air Force base even has a runway or an airport. You know, So a lot of bases we were at did not have that. So I was not around aviation. Really, I was on the Air Force, but not aviation. Um, so it was just total happenstance. I kind of fell into the pilot gig. Absolutely. Talk a little bit about getting into the service academy, because I know that's a goal for a lot of people. A lot of young people, I mean, it's kind of like a dream to go to service academy. It's a very prestigious school, and it leads you to a very good career in the military. How difficult was it to get into the service academy? Uh, it's definitely uh, steps above and beyond what it takes to get into a normal uh, university, I would say. Uh, for those that don't know, there are, are five service academies. Of course, you have Army and Navy, who just played their football game this weekend. Um, you have the Poor Coast Army Guard. guys. I know, I know, they got <laughs> beat up. I wish, honestly, I wish they would have won. So that anyway, it doesn't matter. I, I don't like the Army or the Navy, but that's regardless. Um, you got the Coast Guard Academy. You have the Merchant Marine Academy um, that's in New York, and then you have the, uh, of course, the Air Force Academy, in Colorado Springs. So for all the service academies, they really stress obviously academics. You got to have a really good um, academic GPA type stuff, including honors classes, et cetera. You have to have demonstrate a lot of leadership. So not necessarily a, a breadth and a ton of after school curriculars, but if you have one or two that you're um, excelling at in a leadership position, that's good. And then sports, uh, a lot of guys that kind of emphasize the sports thing too. Um, so with all those you big package, it takes a year plus to put it together uh, just to get accepted. But then because these are, um, service academies, you have to have a congressperson, senator, congressman, uh, representative, or uh, you can even get a, a presidential or vice presidential nomination to go to the academies too. So that's a whole separate application process that's uh, tailored to whatever district you're in. Is that common to have a presidential or vice presidential like letter of recommendation? Um, I got a presidential one. I got a senator one and I got my other one. Only, so the presidential ones and the vice presidents, I think they're set aside for, and it may have changed, but they should be set aside for like active duty um, members, kids, um, or maybe uh, KIA or MIA or POW. So get like automatic bids for that. But then also your senator and congressman have their own processes. So some places like 
I can imagine California or Texas are just inundated with a lot of requests um, where other districts that are less populated may not have it. And I think also some of the senators and congressmen like can shift around there. Like if somebody doesn't have anybody in that district that goes to that school for that year, they can kind of give it to another more populated district. Okay. Are the senators and congressmen, are they limited to how many people they can recommend? Or I believe they- so. Yeah. Okay. No, so it's not like, certain- a, hey, pay me a hundred bucks. I'll recommend your kid and make a little oh, side yeah. money. <laughs> no. Yeah. They have a certain number of um, recommendations or, or nominations that they can nominate for uh, a certain year for a certain school. So they may have a lot of guys that want to go to West Point, for example, and all those guys go to West Point and then um, everyone after that really can't do it for a year or two. It's my thing. Yeah. Nice. So that kind of puts, I mean, that that's kind of good though, because then it's like, do you really want to recommend them to do this? You know, it's not just like, oh yeah, you want to go to West Point? Here you go, go to West Point. It's kind of like, exactly. you got to really think about like, well, I got this kid that I really know would be great at the West Point and I can't, so it's, it's kind of cool. It's cool to hear. And it's, and I think it's really, it's not a haze per se, but it does weed out a lot of people who, you know, just throwing their names in the hat for like a state school or something like that. Um, it, it is a lot of paperwork and, you know, you have to do a whole medical um, process. You got to do a physical fitness test. All this kind of stuff goes into it that, um, you know, is, is important and kind of weeds out people that were just in the ring for no reason. I was just about to ask you, what is the process of getting that? Do you, like, I didn't know if you just say, hey, will you please recommend me? But you have to do a physical test, a like a, a mental test and all that kind of stuff just to get a recommendation. Uh, so the, the, the nomination process the, on the, on the uh, congressperson or the uh, presidential side is, is just separate. That, that's usually just an essay maybe or an interview process. I think it was what I remember what I got for that. But then for the academy acceptance part, that's the you know physical fitness test administered by like a, a gym teacher or something, um, plus an interview with a local uh, military officer who's around, and then also of course the you know the, all the paperwork for all the um, academic stuff and essays and et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. Well, cool. So let's kind of fast forward a little bit. Obviously, I mean, that's useful information. I think that a lot of people kind of maybe listening to this might be like, oh, the military sounds really cool, but like maybe they don't understand the actual process of applying. And, and, and they, a lot of guys don't ask me to like, shoot, like the middle of their senior year. And I'm like, sorry, dude, you need to look, you need to look at this like your junior year for sure. Your sophomore year. The earlier, the better. Just to get the timelines in your head. Yeah. yeah. My, uh, one of my really good friends, he was a pilot for the Navy, went to the Naval Academy, was a pilot for the Navy. And now he's flying helicopters in the Navy. And since he was four years old, we went to school every single grade together. We lived next to each not next to each other, but in the same, pretty much same neighborhood. And he knew he wanted to be a Navy pilot since he was like four. So this dude was like starting in like middle school. He made sure that he did all the scout stuff. He did everything he could in the community that he could possibly do to make himself the best possible candidate to go to the Naval Academy. Yeah, no, it's, it's kind of going to have to plan that because, you know, I mean, you need to show up and you need to do a little bit better in academics or more sports or something. And then, you know, you just don't have the time. Yeah. You get those timelines in your head early. All right. So you are at the air force Academy. You've been accepted mm-hmm. there. You're flying gliders. I don't think anyone has really talked about gliders. Talk about what your experience was like in gliders and why kind of the important skills that you learned as a pilot that can carry into uh powered flight. Sure. So gliders, uh, I think I graduated by the time I was done was maybe about a, 100, 150 hours in gliders, which doesn't seem like a lot, but each sortie was about a 0.3. So, I mean, you're going up and down. There was, um, you know, you're only doing a couple, uh, maybe a half hour, maybe at a time. Uh, but Colorado Springs was really good for, even winter flying is good. There's not a lot of sunshine. So there's not a lot of snowstorms. Uh, summers in the afternoons, they got thunderstorms rolling in. But before that, a lot of convective activity. So gliders were good for figuring out, um, basic stick and rudder stuff um, because we use tow planes instead of, I know they can also launch gliders on the ground, um, but we, <laughs> that have, looks uh, intense. <laughs> and I don't know that's something I would trust. I like, know. The ground and hopefully, you know, you pull up and it works. Yeah. Hopefully um, it's like a yeah, roller coaster. Not, just getting shot. It's like getting shot out of a rocket. Yeah. And, and yeah, that's not, and then you take a bird or a rabbit, I guess at that point, I don't know. Um, so we did uh, a tow plane would go up. Uh, the Academy's already at like 6,000 feet. So we'd go up to about 10,000 feet and get off tow. And then you're, uh, you know, there's minimal radio calls. It was all VFR flying, obviously. Uh, and just uh, minimal, we called it boldface. So a couple checklist items and some like emergency action items that you had to know. So just kind of the introduction to pilot training and, and Air Force way of flying. Uh, we said some stick and rotor skills. We did spins, spin recovery, stalls kind of stuff. Uh, and then learning a basic pattern to, to land the aircraft. 
Would you say that having your glider certificate or rating makes you a better pilot in what you're doing today? I think it gets me, it got me a little bit more comfortable for some of the C-17 flying, actually. Um, in some of the emergency procedures, C-17s fly on the on the backside of flying, generally. So you had power for um, your glide path versus your pitch is more for airspeed uh, when it's landing. But in some instances, you'll reverse that where your, your power is actually your airspeed, uh, kind of the front side of flying, which is more like gliders. And most, I think most aircraft do that. So the... Uh, some guys were uncomfortable or had difficulty with that front side flying the C-17s after you've been flying it for so long, but gliders definitely translated well for that. Obviously, it's just normal, normal flying for most dudes, um, but they kind of lose that skill, you know, flying backside the whole time. Yeah. Did you, I, I've been in a glider one time. I flew with, uh, do you, I don't know if you remember how long you've been on Instagram, but do you ever remember the account stabilizer motion? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, I went up with him in a glider and it was wild. It was cool. I mean, it is so quiet and it's crazy when you yes. pull that rope and all of a sudden you're just gliding and it's just like, Oh crap. Like <laughs> we're really doing this right now. <laughs> and you're, and you're always coming down, you know, so you, had a, you, had, you built your essay for sure. Like there were a couple uh, checkpoints, you know, like, Hey, if I'm at this area of the cadet, um, way, you know, the cadet area, like I need to be at this altitude. So it kind of like would work you in, but there'd be times, yeah, you'd not that you want to forget, but you're like, oh, shoot, I'm at 10,000 feet. I need to be, you know, X number. I need to be this area. So it kind of built your essay of looking for other gliders, making sure you're training your student. You're getting all the stalls and falls and everything correctly with them uh, and still working your way towards the airfield because you couldn't, you know, you know, knock it off and then go away, go home in one setting. Did you ever have yourself in a situation or know of people in a situation where, say, they're up training and glider? And obviously, if you don't kind of monitor your lift or know where the lift is and you lose lift and have you ever had people land like off field because they just weren't really paying attention or they'd kind of had some issues or was it oh totally. yeah. yeah i i did not um i always made it back to the airfield uh but there were besides a regular glider team we had a uh, aerobatic team that would just go up over the airfield do a bunch of um hammerheads and and um spins and stalls and all these kind of loops and stuff um aileron rolls etc then we also had our cross country team and they would take the gliders and go out. And these guys fly for shoot, like six, seven, 10 hours, something absurd. That's like at um, one time. Right. I mean, <laughs> it, it seems fun until you got to like pack all your food and, and, uh, you know, if I'm packing a lunch for a glider flight, I'm doing too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if you're, cause you're, I mean, you're cramped and, and you're, but those guys would land uh, out often cause they'd go out and they try to find thermals or, or, uh, wave, uh, lift off the mountains and then would end up, you know, it goes away and they're kind of like stuck out. So then, and that was a good thing about gliders is it kind of made you find places to land and build your essay on. All right. If I'm here, all right, there's a patch. If I need, you know, if I lost all lift, you know, and I'm not finding this thermal land there. Absolutely. And, uh, just so we can break it down for everyone else, essay situational awareness. That's what you mean. Yes. Okay, cool. Yep, absolutely. Just make sure we're all on the same page. In case anyone's listening, like what's essay? Is that some cool military term that I'm not allowed to know? <laughs> no, no, stay, yeah. Yes. I use that. I use that. I think too much. Like instead of FYI, instead of emails, I'm not like FYSA in emails. Just to, you're in the military and you're a pilot, so you have to have acronyms, right, for everything. Kind of acronyms. Yeah. I've, I've been going through my head trying to make sure I'm not spitting acronyms at That's you. That's really funny. Uh, it's all good. We'll just have to clarify if you do. But um, so yeah, you go to the Air Force Academy. You have an issue with your vision, and you got that uh, the surgery. Was it surgery or was it kind of like LASIK, like high intense LASIK? It was it was high intense LASIK for the most part. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And then you got that. And then this led you to your career in flying. What was uh, your next steps coming from glider, coming from the surgery? How did you, obviously you said you had the opportunity to kind of bid it or kind of choose what you wanted to do. Is that normal or was it kind of how well you did in school and your rank led you to where you could choose or what led you to where you could bid to where you want to go? Uh, a mix of both. So the, uh, they were kind of rack and stack you with your, uh, job or not with your job, I guess, I guess with your academic scores and your physical fitness scores and your military scores and you kind of a whole like one to N of who everybody is. And then people bid out on, Hey, we have X number pilot slots, X number navigator slots, X number, um, lawyer slots, X number, whatever people rack a second, put input what they want in there. Um, but honestly for guys that are considering that know they want to fly, that know the air forces for them, the academy, I think, is the best way to go just because the, the majority of dudes at the academy, dudes and dudettes, end up with some kind of rated flying slot. 
versus in some of these ROTC units and OTS units, they have fewer available because it's nationwide that they're competing. So they may only get one or two per unit, where I think like 60% of my class got a some kind of flying slot. So uh, I don't know if that's going to be the case all the time. It kind of ebbs and flows with the needs of the Air Force. But if you if you want to be a pilot, I think the academies are, are definitely a way to go. Yeah, this is interesting because I talked, I have a good buddy here who's fiance goes to medical school with my wife and every year on here his name's isaac cornell and he is well he did yeah so he's kind of on the opposite side like he went to cornell he was in ROTC. he kind of went the opposite way and he still got a pilot slot but he had some issues like he didn't get it right away and he had to work for it and all that kind of stuff and so it's really interesting to see two different routes to be in the air force and be a pilot in the air force yeah that would get pilot slots and lose them later on for some reason so that would go to lower dudes in the in on the rack and stack get maybe because of medical or something then it would, it would you know bump off or the reverse would be guys that were low um, maybe improve their grades and you know were um got a pilot slot from i don't know it opened up from personnel somewhere and yeah. came down so did you always so like obviously it's kind of up in the air like it's not guaranteed you're going to be a pilot now obviously air force needs pilots but they're still not just going to select everyone so there's some right. there's some criteria and there's a lot of competition did you ever in your mind think of a career outside of aviation or was it all like aviation or nothing? Um, I, like I said, I, it wasn't until even my junior year when I got this eye surgery and, and had been gliding for a while that I thought about being a pilot. So other things I thought about were maybe being a maintenance officer to be um, on the flight line and kind of support the mission. I thought that might be interesting. Um, I thought maybe being a um, we call them Office of Special Investigations, but they're like our Air Force. It's like NCIS in the Navy. You're like FBI. It's like our, our investigation branch of our cops. That that might have been interesting. Um, totally, totally different road, you know. But uh, you know, there are other there are tons of Air Force careers. Like I said, med school was something I'd, I'd looked at um, until I figured it was a you know once in a lifetime opportunity to do uh, you know Air Force pilot training and to, and to fly these planes that you know honestly I wouldn't be able to fly anywhere else. No, definitely not. When did you when did you start your training for uh, Air Force pilot? Um, so post graduation, I actually lucked out and I went to uh, joint uh, pilot training. So I went to Whiting Airfield down in Pensacola, Florida, and trained with the Navy and flew T thirty fours down there. Um, so I didn't take the standard T six route that a lot of guys now take. Um, when the plane was still available, I took the T thirty four Turbo Mentor. I think is what it was called. Uh, so our squadrons were mixed with Coast Guard dudes, uh, Marines, Navy, and then also the Air Force, uh, where we learned Navy. It was just Navy, and it was their standard Navy training, but we were a couple like exchange students down there learning you know, the Navy okay. style of training. What was, was that like? Quick. It was different. Yeah. Um, very different. They Good are, or bad or just different? Uh, both. Yeah. Um, I think the for a lot of the military pilots that are listening, that you always hear that the Navy tells you what you can't do. Well, the Air Force tells you what you can do. So the Navy leaves a lot more up for interpretation, at least at the time with a lot of their ranks. And the Air Force is very much was more prescriptive in what you could not do. Um, but it was interesting. I mean, and learning from the other services, a lot of the Navy uh, guys and girls would go uh, rotary wing. So a lot of them were not, not fixed wing pilots. A lot of the Marines were not fixed wing pilots. So kind of, you know, expecting that they were all going to go to the HH-60s or whatever and going on a ship and, and the different missions they were going to support. Um, you know, it was just interesting. And the Coast Guard, you know, they were thrown in there and learning what they did. Um, I don't know. It was it was it was a great experience. Uh, took a little bit. It, they were slowed down. Um, I think it was about six months worth of initial training that a lot of guys would do in T six. I spread that out over about two years, so um, slowed down a little bit. And I had a had a med issue with a, an eardrum too, so that set me back a little bit. Um, but I mean, Pensacola is perfect training, way better than some of the other air force, uh, locations for yeah. pilot training. I did a bunch of aerial survey flying in Texas and Randolph air force base was, I would see a ton of their planes all the time or you have Del Rio, which I mean, yep. that would suck. You know, great location. Uh, so I, <laughs> uh, yeah, very thankful that I ended up in, uh, at Pensacola, Florida. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say you hit the lottery, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what were the personality differences like in the Navy pilots, Air Force pilots, and Coast Guard, and the other pilots over there? Um, Marines obviously have that kind of stereotype, and for the most part, I think it was true is that they're a little bit more um, hard, uh, 
obviously because they had all graduated if i remember they'd already done you know their commissioning but they already then went through a infantry school because every marine's an infantryman so like they'd already done this whole land nav for like six months of their running around the woods and shooting stuff and being like an infantry guy and then they start their their pilot training um so they'd already come they already had kind of a little bit more military experience than some of us who just graduated college or the academy and came to pilot school um, coast guard were super laid back uh, i mean they have a totally different we'd give them um we'd rib on them because they were i think at that time they were switching over to department of homeland security so we'd make fun of them for not even being dod anymore and we'd make <laughs> you know <laughs> like dude you guys aren't even military and yeah, it's like, like why are you, you here know, <laughs> exactly yeah They're like well we'll pick you up when you fall in the water i was yeah. gonna say the coast guard someone yeah. sounds like you you give them crap until you need them to save your life <laughs> exactly yeah yeah He's there going to be like, I remember you. We're going to let you swim a little longer. Is that water cold? Yeah, exactly. And yeah. they would. I think they picked us up when we did our, our water training. Um, they had Coast Guard helicopters would pick us up and let us back down when we were practicing that. What? Uh, so, yeah, like you said, a lot of different personalities on there. It's really interesting that you went to the Navy side to do your training. Um, I flew with a guy at the company I fly with now, and he was a Navy pilot. And he said that Navy pilot skills have gone down ever since they incorporated incorporated the Air Force in there. <laughs> he said that the Air yeah, Force mentality sure. just brought it all down, which is it's really funny when you hear like you ask an Air Force guy that they'd say the opposite. You ask a Navy guy to say that they'd say complete opposite what you say. So it's really funny to hear both sides. And just and it made it was interesting seeing the instructors coming in. So like having the. Uh, Air Force instructors teach Navy guys and in that environment after they'd already been operational for a couple of years, just trying to wrap their heads around how Navy does things differently. Um, it may not be better or worse, but it's just, like I said, they're, they may be um, a lot more autonomous with some things, um, which, which, yeah, I don't know, it's just different. Well, it's just like expectations, though. They expect yeah. their Navy pilots to do certain things, and then when they get an Air Force pilot and they expect other things and they do something that maybe the other pilot doesn't expect, it could lead to a lot of confusion in the cockpit. So it's oh. definitely different, just different, like you said. Yeah, one of the things I liked the most, though, was that the Navy kind of treated it more like a big boy program. Um, so I think Isaac talked about it in his podcast of the, the 12-hour duty days as a student pilot in the Air Force side. You know, you're in it at six to six and you're doing um, stand up where you're getting yelled at, but with certain emergencies and rote memorization, some other things. I didn't experience that at all until I went on to my advanced trainer at the Navy was um, you had a class of academics maybe for a couple of weeks with your guys in your class, quote unquote. But then after that, it was all shotgun, like um, schedulers would call you and say, hey, man, you're flying tomorrow or you're flying the next day. And you'd, you'd show up to your brief and you should be fully prepared. So you, and there were times you'd be driving in in a Florida afternoon and the, you may not have a, an afternoon flight and your instructor texts you or calls you. He's like, Hey, weather looks bad. We're just going to cancel and, and we'll see you tomorrow, which is totally different than this formal release program that the air force did where you had to sit in classroom for 12 hours time. Even if you weren't, even though you were weathered out just to study oh, with each other. Oh my gosh. That sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah it's, it was definitely uh, put you through the ringer, but maybe yeah. it was, was the opposite. It was big boys show up and know what you got to do. Yeah. I remember Isaac was talking about how once he got like further in his training, he really appreciated when he was finally treated like a grown up and an adult. <laughs> he wasn't treated like a child. So it's funny bringing up the Navy side of it, even though you were Air Force, but training on the Navy side, they might've given you more freedom. Maybe freedom's not the right word, but you had more flexibility and it was just structured completely differently. Totally. Yeah. Uh, that's really crazy. What is, uh, so obviously the Air Force is like, needs pilots right like you you hear about all the time the need pilots you hear about how they are offering some crazy bonuses to keep pilots and do all this kind of stuff what what is you're in the air force what is it actually like right now like do you feel that the need of pilot is like such a, a heavy burden for the air force or do you think everything is a little bit better than what might look like from the outside if you don't know it's not a big deal it was just came yeah i don't know that off the top of my head yeah and i know how i see it but i don't know what the chief of staff said so right. i'd rather yeah <laughs> sounds good all right, cool. Um, so you are uh, in your training. You said you were flying the T-34s, right? Yes. What was uh, what was next? What was after T-34? Following T-34s, I went to Vance Air Force Base in Oklahoma and learned the T-1, which is a business jet type aircraft. I think it's Mitsubishi is who, the type rating that I got My out of it. condolences. Yeah, like Mitsubishi <laughs> 400 or something, yeah. I think, or Beechcraft 400 yeah, or something. I think something. it's a beach jet, yeah. Okay, yeah, so... Flew that, and uh, it's a little bit heavier, right? It's a two-pilot uh, cockpit. You're learning the crew stuff, um, learning a lot more instrument 
flying because that's what they're expecting to track along the heavy route um, per se versus like a helicopter route or the jet route um, jet for the fighter bomber dudes. So the T ones did that for six months and then graduated from there and went to C 17s. Okay. What was, uh, what's been your favorite plane that you've flown so far in the, the military? Um, I really liked, I mean, I'm biased. I have about almost 3000 hours in 17s, but I really liked C 17s. Okay. What's the best thing about the C 17? Uh, it, it, for as large as it is, it is, uh, and if you're not super heavy, I mean, it is, it is very nimble and super responsive. All fly by wire. You got to stick. Um, and then the C 17 also just had a range of missions that I'm not, obviously I'm not getting that now. Like now is I'm doing DV airlift for the most part, but C 17s would do aeromedical evacuation. You could do air refueling. You could go do, I did not do it, but you could go do airdrop. You could, you know, go land on a dirt field um you know you could take a tank somewhere i mean there just was a wide range of of missions that 17s could have that i thought made it interesting yeah absolutely i mean i uh i'm friends with dj aircrew life on instagram and i've been talking to him about it and like i was telling him what the speeds were to land in my jet and he's like oh that's what the c-17 does like wait the c-17 flies like 90 knots (laughs) it's like what Yeah, yeah if you're light enough and you're yeah absolutely yeah, he's like, yeah, we landed on a dirt road. I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's yeah, just insane. I'm him today with um, uh, Tanya. Um, yeah, because we, we were talking. Yeah, because he's switching to 77s now soon, I think. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. What? Uh, so C-17s, how long are we flying C-17s for? Uh, about six and a half years. Okay. How long have you been in the military in general? Uh, I commissioned in 2009. So about 10 years as a, as a, and then I got my wings in 2012. Okay. So 2009, 2012, when you, after you get your wings, is that when kind of your commitment starts or is it when the start of your training? Oh, it starts at the end of your wings. Okay. So So it's eight years or is it more? It's 10 years for your pilot wings. So So three years left or almost two years left. Yeah. Pretty much. 2022 is when my commitment is up. Are yep. you uh, the type of guy that has that countdown on on your phone, and as soon as it rings, you're throwing your uniform away and walking away? Yeah. Or are you kind of seeing a career yeah. in military? Um, I'm. I was a, a scout growing up, so one of the things I keep carrying too forward is the uh, you know Boy Scout motto: "Be prepared." So I kind of like um, all my ducks in a row. If I want to punch and go to the airlines, you know, I have my ATP, my CFII, see all that stuff on that side, and I'll probably get my apps warmed up. But I'm also like working really hard at flying and also all the officership that you have to do on the inside, you know, in case I um, do the career stuff. Uh, so I'm not checking out on either side. Just, I just want to keep my options open until I have to make a decision here in a couple of years. What does, uh, what does, so say you want to stay military. What does a career for you in the military look like? Like what else would you do to keep progressing? So that's the one thing I think airline dudes don't, know a lot of for the for the air force or the military side is uh we're still officers first so even though flying um from here on out i probably the next couple of years would kind of stop flying i would go to if i wanted to keep progressing in rank and and doing the career stuff i'd go to we call like a another graduate school for military education for about a year which is not flying and then i would probably go to a we call a staff job where i'm um on a headquarters staff and I'm helping publish guidance for the flyers that are out there for maybe two to three years. That's another two to three years of not flying. And then maybe coming back to a squadron to be a commander or a second in command type person where I would then fly again. So if I kept progressing in my career, uh, in officer as an officer to try to promote and make rank and there's a lot of stuff I have to do. That's not flying related for years at a time. Um, which is different than, than airline guys, you know, that are they're just line flyer all the time. It's very different. And it's really interesting to think as an aviator to progress in a pilot world or to progress in an aviation atmosphere that they would take you out of the plane to do other things. And then in five years, they bring you back to start flying. And it's like, well, it's just five years lost. Like you're gonna be a little rusty, <laughs> you know? I think so. Yeah. But then at that, at that point too, for a lot of the senior leaders, um, who are coming back into the cockpit, they're not going to be the guys on the front line, you know, flying the F-16s in a combat, or they're not going to be the guy landing first to C-17 in Syria at a dirt strip. Uh, they need to have that experience, but they, they, they have that experience there. And then also like, you know, the bigger brain experience now to helpfully help direct war efforts. So it's interesting. Yeah. They, 
they want you to grow as an aviator to a point, And then they also need you to keep developing as an officer beyond that. Would you say that once you gain that experience and once you have that higher rank, do you think that there's always a fire inside of you to be on the front lines or is eventually like, no, I paid my dues, man. Like (laughs) we need you to do this. Like, good luck. (laughs) I think everybody wants to stay in the cockpit and wants to keep flying. and wants to keep, you know, leading. Um, But I think there is some realization at some point that really anybody can fly that plane or do whatever, but there's only certain guys that are um, either legally or, uh, otherwise have that, you know, the brain to make the decisions, you know, um, so everybody can be a pilot and everybody can be the commander as it were. How many times have you been deployed? Oh, shoot. Um, too many to count pretty much. Yeah. I want to say maybe four or five, maybe six, somewhere in there. I've done everywhere from, uh, Manas in, uh, Kyrgyzstan was a big uh, personnel center for a while that a lot of the heavy air force dudes will know. Uh, I've done thumb rate in uh, Oman, a couple times at Qatar, uh, maybe once or twice at uh, in Kuwait also. Um, but C-17s are a little bit different because we would deploy on like a three-month stretch. So a lot of other airframes and a lot of other uh, Air Force people deploy six to months to maybe a year at a time yeah and i was talking to isaac who we were yeah. talking about earlier and he was talking like how it can be extended and how you're out there and it's like oh we need you there longer it's like okay <laughs> we're, yeah, we're much closer to to our our 90 day t uh um t- uh deployments and that was mostly because even at home station i mean we're gone half the year anyway because we're flying all the way into the aor the area of responsibility so we're flying into afghanistan iraq um, from home station, you know, maybe once or twice a month. So then it didn't really make, I mean, so we didn't make sense to be deployed all the time because we're doing that already. So, yeah, cause you're already kind of deployed as is, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah we're making that trip all the time anyway. So, but there are C-17s that are in theater that just need to, you know, move cargo around that theater. So that's where you get the manning to, to go there for a couple of months. It's crazy to think that you can be based in the States, say like wherever you're based and all of a sudden you're just like kissing your wife goodbye. It's like, Oh, where are you going? I'm going to Afghanistan today. I know you don't, maybe you don't tell them that or what, but it's just like, it's right. wild to like have that mindset. Like a pilot's like always traveling, always gone, but like not going to Afghanistan and go fight a war and then come back like within a couple of days or a week. So it's just like wild to think about. It is. And then stuff would change all the time. You're going to Europe and then you get, we call it recut or you get, you know, um, retasked to go somewhere else. And that's one thing about the, the air force at the airlines um, definitely marked difference is that uh, we don't bid trips or anything like that. So a lot of this is last minute of, Hey, this mission just dropped down. We need you to go fly this and we probably, and you're going to be back in a week or you're going to be back in three days or uh, maybe 30 days. We don't know. Um, so a lot of that is, is fluid and is changing versus from what I understand from my buddies that are airlines is you can kind of bid out your whole month um, in advance. So you kind of know when you're home, which is something that is, driving a lot of guys maybe out of the military absolutely yeah it's it's definitely probably better for a peace of mind knowing when you're going to be home i could see that being pretty frustrating but if you're okay some people are built for that like if that's what they like to do then that's what they like to do yeah no i i mean it's it's wearing you know because eventually some people are like your parents or you know girlfriends are like hey can you make this event next month and you're like I'm, i don't know you know i have to put in vacation for it for the most part you know to to make play it safe so that's kind of a drawback. Yeah. What would you say? So obviously there's probably a mentality that you have to have when you are deployed, when you're going to war, when you're going to for those three month deployments. How would you say the mentality is different from when like you're over in the States and also like, hey, when you're needed in Afghanistan, short call, like you're going to be there for a week, you're going to be there for whatever. Is that is there a difference in mentality? Is it harder to kind of pump yourself up for that or is it about the same and you just know it's the job and that's what you have to do? Um, it's a little bit different cause you know, you're going to be long-term, but I think you have a way better, um, squadron, like esprit de corps because everybody's in the same boat and you all know you're going out for 90 days, 220 days and coming back. Um, where in the squadron, cause you get kind of piecemeal together with the crew and you fly out and everybody's going everywhere. There may be times you don't even see a guy for months at a time and he works next to you in the office because he's, his, your schedules aren't matching up. But usually when you deploy as that squadron, um, you're really building those relationships because you're seeing guys and you're flying back to back. Now you might do like the night cruise versus the day cruise, but uh, you know, you're seeing guys you had not seen in a while and you're, and they're, you know, building that camaraderie that you wouldn't have had for that three months at home. 
Um, so everyone becomes a lot more supportive, uh, whether you have issues at home or not, it becomes a lot more supportive with the missions you're doing a lot more time for studying and hanging out and, and, you know, being better pilots because you're doing a lot more of that up, down, takeoff landing, tactical things that you maybe were not doing from the States. Yeah. Would you, so the guy, so once again, going, the only other person really known in the air force was Isaac. So I feel like we're bringing him up a lot, but he was talking about how, when he was over there, I remember talking to him before he was going on that deployment. I was like, Hey, are you nervous? Are you excited? And he said, no, I'm excited. Like, I feel like I actually get to do something. Cause I don't know if like he was just doing touch and goes, just staying current when he was here. But obviously it sounds like your mission was a little bit different because C-17 could kind of just go there for a week and come back. But would you say that's a similar kind of feeling for a lot of uh, military pilots or would you say that might be more kind of a squadron? based um i think it depends on the on the missions so like the uh tanker air refueling guys often go down and back for you know weeks or months at a time um but c-17 c-5s some of the big heavies will do the um those kind of trips but a lot of those other aircraft like fighter guys bomber guys deploy as a giant squadron for months at a time because they are not and it's just a big footprint they have to they have to go forward with so they're unable to um you know, onesies, twosies go out there. So, yeah, I think C-17, C-5s are kind of unique in that uh, scenario where we, we kind of do it, you know, year-round. Um, but it is exciting to, to go out the door with your whole squadron, to know, to leave all your office work behind, knowing that you're just there to perform and, and do your job. This is, you know, motivating. Absolutely, yeah. And it's kind of like your sense of purpose. Like, this is what you're supposed to do when you're finally getting to, like, do your job. Exactly, yeah. What, um... Let's see. So now you're not actually doing kind of, you've already been deployed. You're not, are you, can you still be deployed now or is that kind of done? There are, no, there are, there are a couple for the unit that I'm at. There are a couple deployment um, opportunities that can come down, um, but they will be mostly staff jobs that are deployed. So pushing paper and scheduling kind of stuff, but in a deployed environment. So, so you're not. combat flying, if I don't know like the actual term, but say combat flying is probably done for then over when you're deployed. Um, for right now it is. Yes. Yeah. Is that something that you miss or is that something that you wish would be more? Are you kind of happy with where you are and what you're doing right now? Um, I mean, we, we could still go to the AOR in this aircraft. Um, so you can still kind of see some of the action, but I mean, obviously we're not going anywhere that's unsafe. Um, but I I do kind of miss that because it's kind of nice to like be with your crew and be like, all right guys, combat entry checklist. Like let's, you know, you know, we're going into the, you know, into the combat zone, which, you know, as unsafe or unsafe as wherever you're at, depends on where you're at. But I mean, it is kind of nice to get spun up and, and, you know, you feel like you're doing work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like we said, talk about the transition and what you're flying now. So you're flying a C-17, arguably one of the most badass airplanes. And now, I yeah, yeah like I, I would love to see like a passenger version of a C-17. <laughs> I don't think, I think there were rumors because there's a Qatari airline or the, the Qataris have one. I think, and it's painted in like Emirates colors because it's a, um, maybe it's Qatari airline one. Cause they, 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 like the Sheik over there owns it. Um, but it, I, I mean, I can't imagine it'd just be just a waste of gas. Oh, for, absolutely. A hundred percent. But I'm just thinking about like them, like passengers complaining about turbulence or like bad rides, but then you get a C-17 and you start doing emergency descents from four five Oh and get down to the ground in like two minutes. <laughs> like Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, what that, just that's happened? That's not even an exaggeration. Yeah. No, that's yeah. You can like, I think 20,000 VVI was like the minute was like the max descent rate you can do in that thing it was ridiculous that's wild uh so yeah so talk about your uh transition into what you're doing now um i know you said the military version of it just for everyone can what would the civilian type be yeah so i currently am flying a c-32 um which is a military derivative of a boeing 757 200 and that's a pretty capable plan too it is. It's, it has and we don't have with the pratt whitney engines we don't have the rolls royce so pretty much the same c-17 engines on a um, less than half the weight aircraft. Uh, so it is very fast. Um, so it's a different, definitely a different type of flying. So I'm currently doing uh, DV airlift flying. Um, so this unit that I'm in, in the DC area is, uh, uh, selectively manned. So they take more experienced pilots. So usually guys that are five to 10 years into their career that have, uh, the hours and the experience, usually instructors or evaluators already in their previous aircraft. Um, they bring you to put an application package together. You get some recommendations. You, they bring you out for an interview. And then when you interview, they hire you for one of three aircraft, either the C-32, the 757, the C-40 is a 737, 
or a C37, which is a Gulfstream. We have G5s and G550s here also. Um, so you get hired for any of those um, in one of the two squadrons, and then you are flying uh, the nation's senior leaders for the most part. What was the selection process like for that? Is this something you applied to, or is it something like, hey, like Mike, we really we've noticed you, and we want you to work here, or want you to come to this this unit? We're we're changing it, but it, it was just a they send like a all call robo email is what we set out, you know, on every, about once a year. Now we're doing it about two or three times a year. Of hey, we're send us your app applications, and we'll we'll look at it, and then if you meet it, we'll call you out for that interview process. Um, it's very much, I think, like a airline interview. So you go out there for, you're there for a couple of days, you have a couple of meet and greets and, and food. There's a, you know, some written tests you take, um, the, and in your interviewing the unit as much as they're interview, interviewing you. So maybe you have certain wife and kid considerations. So maybe the DC area is not for you or the lifestyle is not for you. So it's, it's, um, you know, organic, it's going both ways. And then at the end of it, do you have a, about a, I think mine was about 20 minute interview just sit down um you on one side and like 20 people on the other side of this table in a room <laughs> it is that they're just they're just asking you know in your your full service dress with all your ribbons and stuff and they're just asking you pointed questions of you know why did you fail this check ride or why did you you know they pull up on the screen all right here's this jefferson star tell me what else you can be at this point you know i remember i had a question like what is a marmot you know just off the wall things trying you know, tell me about a time but some airline stuff too right tell me about a you did whatever. Um, so did the interview. And then a couple of weeks later, they give you a call, you know, a thumbs up, thumbs down of where you're at. Is this, would you say that this is kind of a natural path for a, a pilot in the air force to take, or do you think you're taking an unnatural path? It's a little bit unnatural. Okay. It's not the normal um, progression because it is selectively manned units. So not a lot of people come this route. Um, and then, yeah, so it's just, it's just different. Um, after this, I should, like I said, if, if I continue go to like a one year school or a staff assignment, um, or a lot of guys stay here and they kind of, um, become the kind of that line flyer and they stay here for six years or so. Um, and then eventually maybe move up to the, the 747s at gotcha. some point. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. What, um, so obviously you have a, you, as much as maybe you wouldn't want to know, it, it's like you have a presence online and you're kind of like a personality. You're pretty hilarious online. Everything comes out. Appreciate it. Thank How, you. Yeah, man. How does your unit, the air force, everyone involved on that side feel about what you post on Instagram and stuff? Uh, a lot of guys are supportive. Lots of support. Um, because they, I mean, I try to do everything very respectfully. Um, obviously there's, I think we talked about sometimes I get sent pictures to try to reproduce. I'm like, I, there's no way I can, you know, put on high heels, sit in like the vice president's chair and take a picture with that. Like that's, not, that's not going to happen. So there's some things that I can, uh, you know, recreate. Um, and you know, and just, and there are reg- regulations that you got to follow. There are, um, some guidance that are, Hey, do this, don't do that kind of a thing. But otherwise it's, it's free reign on, on my end. Um, I just went back after the fact and said, Hey, can you, can you look at my stuff and make sure I'm not doing anything? So like, I'm not going to be able to sell, fit tea. Not that I wanted to sell fit tea anyway, but that's not something that, you know, um, I'm going to do cause that's a, you know, government like endorsement thing, but use my discount code, get, uh, get 15% yeah, off. off. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what I would sell. Maybe it's black um, rifle coffee. That or Brightlinks. Brightlinks. Yeah. Cool. I'll, I'll right. sell some Brightlinks. Maybe Shoot, if Brightling yeah. will hit me up. What's up? I'll sell. I just yeah. want a Brightling. Like, all right, come on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, please. Just give me a discount. <laughs> That's cool though, because obviously social media and aviation is still kind of taboo. I mean, I mean, you hear in the airlines, like it's still kind of like, I feel like it's a very gray area. Like there is a do and don't, but you still people see people still posting the don't and not getting in trouble. So you're like, well, is it okay then? You know, it's like, how do you do this? And then GoPros and cockpits and you see European airlines, like there's tons of films on YouTube and online of them just posting everything. And it's like, well, how can they do that? You know? So it's really interesting to hear the air force side of it and hear kind of that they're okay with the social media and that you kind of have free reign in some aspect. I'm sure they don't want you putting GoPro videos of like live action, like actually doing that. So you definitely know your limits, but it's just very interesting. We're in a, such a weird time with social media and aviation. And just it's very interesting to see where it's going to go and where they set the limits. Because, I mean, like I said, like I feel like it's a little bit gray and it might need a little bit more rewarding. And we need more set limits of what is okay and not okay. 
Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, there's two things that, that I'm always mindful of is one is um, like the pilotic side of it. Like, do I, I've had guys in pictures be like, oh, well, why did that switch out of position or something? I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, but it was maybe deselected for some other reason or whatever. But so there are guys looking at the piloting thing. So, of course, I'm not going to be like taking a selfie, you know, at 500 feet above final. Like that's, you know, some stuff, you know, I'll have other guys take pictures. So there's that aspect to it. But then there's also for me, at least the operational security or the OPSEC side of it. So, like you said, like I'm not going to put in a Snapchat story of me going into Afghanistan and back or you know, here's my, my Facebook live of whatever. So a lot of times I'll handle both. It's all scrub photos. Um, you know, I, I kind of wipe my name out. So that's not out there. Um, maybe some unit patches of dudes, but then also I I'll tag things weeks or months after the fact, or maybe even the wrong cities or whatever. Um, just because it's, it, I'm kind of trying to mitigate both at the same time. Right. Absolutely. And that's probably the best way to do it because like we said, it's like, the gray area, someone might not, you're always going to piss someone off. Like no matter what you do, everything you do, someone's going to have an opinion. Someone's going to find the one fault in the picture when you're just trying to have some good, fun humor. And it's just, exactly. you got to be careful. Yep. So I was, I was very interested about kind of, you're at a point right now where the airlines probably, I mean, depending on who you are, but the airlines are very promising crew right now. Everything looks good. The money looks good. The planes, I mean, they're getting new airplanes and you have the opportunity to do some pretty exciting stuff. It's like we talked about DJ. He's been an American for six years. He's me an FO on the 787. Now he's had to move from different cities. He's been reserved and he's done a lot of stuff to get there and he's worked really hard for it, but he's in a very good spot right now. So you have this, this really lucrative career kind of staring you in the face. And then you also mm-hmm. have 10 more year or you have the potential to be 10 more years in the military and you get the big retirement and you get all that kind of stuff. So like, well, how do you even compare those two? How do you choose a route? How do you know you're going to choose the right route? Yes. I mean, that's also something I struggle with, um, you know, on a weekly, if not daily basis, because you're always kind of um, going both directions. I kind of mentioned before, I'm, I'm keeping my options open by, you know, trying to do really well in the squadron as a flyer and then as an officer, and then also keeping all my um, FAA type ratings and things open and, and good to go. Um, I think it comes down to, almost the same dilemma I had as a cadet where I kind of decided, you know, I can do kind of med school anytime, but I can't really do pilot training anytime. Um, looking now, it's like I can go, you know, assuming the economy and everything kind of stays the same. I can go to the airlines later at any time, um, whether I do it in two years from now, or I kind of do it from six years from now, depending on hiring waves or whatever. Um, but I can't always be, Air Force Two taxing and being like a symbol of America in another country, um, you know, parking the American flag somewhere. Like that's not something that I can do all the time. And that's something I'm, I'm doing now, um, you know, and, and I enjoy, um, you know, that kind of, that kind of feeling of, of helping American diplomacy abroad, um, kind of being that blue and white that's on the ramp um, is, is, you know, is exciting. And it's something that, you know, I don't know, Maybe being American twenty nine eighty two is not going to be the same thing as being Air Force two, but you know, uh, you know, it's a it's a fun job, and I have I know I have worldwide global impact right now uh, that I maybe would not get flying a full stop ILS into Detroit, you know, ten times a day or back and yeah, forth, exactly, back and forth. exactly, yeah. So it's it, it but it's up in the air. Um, yeah. Like I said, there's kind of talked about the deployment stuff and some of the office stuff. So there's um, you know give and take, but for right now, it's still unique opportunities I'm getting in the military that I would not get on the outside. That's kind of keeping me in. Definitely. And I kind of like how you said that. And I, I kind of is can kind of go to a pilot building their time now because you're, it's a similar, I mean, it's not the same situation, but it's similar because you have your eye on this prize or you, you always are faced with the decision of, do I stay corporate? Do I go airlines? Do I stay here, here or go, or go there? Do I go military? Do I this? But I think the most important thing is to get the most out of the situation you're in right now. So if you're a CFI and you need another thousand hours and all you're doing is thinking about airlines, like maybe you should kind of take a step back and realize how much fun you're having as a CFI and teaching people how to fly and really enjoy it or even aerial survey or even cargo. It's like you're building this time. Enjoy where you are. I miss flying a PC-12. Like that was a lot of fun. When I was in that moment though, I was so fixated on my next job and I started to resent where I was and not really fully enjoy it. And I kind of regret it sometimes. 
Now, granted, the job kind of sucked and the hours were awful, but mm-hmm. I was flying a PC-12 by myself all over the country and around other countries too. Like, what kind of, like, I'm never going to get that experience ever again. So it's just something that, I think it's important that even, I mean, you can apply those too. Just enjoy where you are. And I think you even said it, you're just, in, you just like what you're doing and you're just kind of living in the moment and you're keeping your options open. I think that's the best Absolutely. thing you can do. I remember there were times in seventeens where you were like, "Man, this really sucks having to do the same route or the whatever." And now looking back, I'm like, "Man, I wish that that was awesome having to fly to wherever, you know, the middle of nowhere and back, trying to figure out some airfield in Africa no one's ever been to in forever." Like that was fun, you know. And now, now I'm in this job. Looking back, I was like, "Oh, that was cool." And now I'm like, "Man, having the two a.m. wake up or just sit on the ground somewhere for eight hours, man, that's kind of a drag." But I'm, you know, I'm sure once I go there, I was like, "Oh, that'll be like a." You know, I was sitting there waiting for, you know, the first lady or the secretary of state to do something for eight hours. Like, that's cool. You know, I'm his Uber driver. That's fun. I know, right? It's wild. And and it's really interesting. Like, you always have this moment of like looking back in your career and you always miss stuff. And, but when you're in your current present situation, you're kind of just like, oh my gosh, I hate this. This is awful. So it's really funny that that's kind of a dilemma that almost all pilots find themselves in. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, cool, man. I have a couple more. Uh, I have some rapid fire questions for you, which sure. uh, they might apply to what you're doing. I don't know. I don't know how often you take airlines or what you know about everything, but <laughs> we'll kind of see what we can sure. get. So I'll ask you some of those real quick, and then I'll have one more question for you. Sure. All right. First one. Uh, so rapid fire. First question is just going to, it's all going to be based on airline or um, uh, planes, airlines, everything. Mm-hmm. You just say the first and the fastest thing that comes to your mind. Okay. All right. What's your favorite plane you've ever flown? Uh, C-17. Least favorite plane you've ever flown? Probably the T-34 because okay. I never had air conditioning that worked. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> never yeah. worked. I, so the, the side note, the plane that I'm flying now, the Latitude, it's the first plane I've ever flown with air conditioning and heat in yeah. a bathroom. So like I'm happy. Oh, like nice. there's not much else that's going to make, that's going to make my life much better. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Those are, those are huge. That bathroom's crucial. So crucial. So nice. Um, all right. What is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Oh, Probably it was some army like C twelve variant. It just had like like a million antennas coming off of it. It looked like it couldn't fly. Is that the King Air? Way too many. It was like it was like their King Air, but it was some I think army like counter drug plane. I've seen. I don't remember the name. I just saw something like that in St. Louis, and it had these like crazy huge like antennas going vertically up and down, like three of them on each wing everywhere. Like it just got like hit with a bunch of arrows and just had all <laughs> kinds of stuff everywhere. And that did yeah. not look like it, it was, was a fun thing to fly. Yeah. That's funny. What's uh, one of the hardest check rides you ever had? Um, one of the hardest check rides was a C-17 simulator check when um, I went in and my publications were wrong when I first stepped into the plane or first into the briefing. So I knew I already like hooked the check ride. So then, and then you had to go fly the rest of the check ride. Um, so having to, you know, and the rest of the check ride went fine, but having to like, let it, you know, go off your back and be like, okay, Hey, I already screwed this part up. You know, there weren't updated, whatever, but now I have to still perform. Uh, and I can go back and fix the pubs. That was definitely the hardest check ride. Gotcha. What is, let's see. What's your favorite airline livery? I like, honestly, I just flew the other day through Dallas and I saw some of the retro American ones. Uh, and I think even uh some of the retro the other day i was walking all i'd say any retro one like i remember seeing some twa one on the ramp i saw northwest one sitting on the ramp and i thought those were like really cool looking what is your favorite thing about aviation i like the generally the professionalism of everybody um that in aviation if uh you screw up especially pilot to pilot kind of stuff like if if someone's doing something wrong you can point it out and no one really gets upset about it because it's pretty factual. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you almost killed us. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like you were, you were 10 knots fast and X, Y, Z happened. You're like, sweet. And you could, you know, but people shouldn't hopefully get upset about it and nobody really gets upset. about it. And it's like, uh, um, you know, there's that level of professionalism that I found that I like. What is, what is something you wish you would have known before becoming a pilot? I would have probably listened to people that said chair flat more. Honestly, like through student pilot training or whatever, I was like, yeah, chair fly, chair fly, chair fly. And like, I would memorize the things and like kind of halfway chair fly, but that it's just so, and it's not until you get to the plane, right? Then you're like, crap, what am, what's the switch I got to hit? You know, like, and also make the radio call and do the thing. Yeah. So chair flying probably, even though you're, you think you're comfortable in it, chair fly 10 times more because then that's going to just make it all muscle memory. What's the hardest approach you've ever flown? 
Um, hardest one I ever did was I was a co-pilot for it. Um, or we called it pilot monitoring and C-17s. And we were stuck between Bagram, Afghanistan, and uh, airfield called Shank, um, which is a tiny um, dirt strip to the, I think, west of Afghanistan, or Bagram. And we were stuck between thunderstorms and the airfield being under attack. So, like, we were, we were going to go one way, and the thunderstorms are there blocking it. We turn the other way, and they're like, oh, the airfield's under attack, so it shut down, stand by. And then we're like, so we picked our way through all these thunderstorms and icing and stuff, and finally made our way to this dirt strip that um, was infamous in C-17s for guys that had, somebody had landed long there one time, somebody had broke a plane there one time. So, um, you know, picking our way through thunderstorms and icing to land there at like a, you know, infamous airport for us, for C-17s, was definitely one of the harder approaches I've done. That sounds intense. What's one of your favorite airports to land at? It can be, uh, let's do like favorite airports in the USA to land at. Um, I think one of my favorites was, uh, oh, in the US, uh, I liked Honolulu flying out there because uh, you, you have that outside runway of a weird like it's a visual approach like a 90 degree kind of turn to land there um, and then you're like taxiing in forever that's a lot of fun and then honestly kind of feeling like a big boy I think you guys talked about it when you first time you land in like Chicago or uh, New York and you're like even though you're screwing up the pattern and everything for everybody else and you're like too fast or too slow and the controllers are yelling at you and you need like progressive taxi because you don't know where you're going but you're like oh I made it you know you see your like reflection in the terminal and you're like oh this is cool like i made it mom yeah, yeah, I'm in O'Hare. Yeah. yeah like that wasn't that bad i'm a real pilot now <laughs> exactly then you get the penalty boxes you know and you're like oh, i'll sit here because i didn't get my clearance sorry yeah <laughs> dang it <laughs> what about outside the u.s do you have a favorite airport um there are a couple Ooh, some of the ones i liked a lot were in jordan the a couple of them because the taxiways they 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 like encroach some of their apartments encroach like right on the taxiways it almost looks like you're dragging a dragging a wingtip oh through gosh. a dude's like living room <laughs> um i mean obviously it's still outside the fence but he's you know within 100 yards of your wingtip so kind of when you're landing you know in all these buildings on either side is is you're concentrating on the runway but when you're taxiing afterwards you're like oh that's closer than i thought it was gonna be yeah you're like, well, I did not need to see that guy naked. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I don't. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to make sure. That's when I'm going to scrub my photos of the cockpit. Make sure he's not on the side. That's really funny. Um, uh, let's see. Would you rather fly over, say, the ocean, the United States, or just like Europe? Or do you have a favorite kind of topography or geography to fly over? Um, I was going to say Europe, mostly because the ocean's okay, but it's always a little bit uneasy, you know, if you like, whether you're doing ETOPS or something and you're like, Oh shoot, I lose an engine. Now I got nowhere to land. So, um, land just in general, cause I'm scared to cat. But then I also like flying around Europe because, um, that was one of the more challenging things learning was the radio calls in Europe. Cause everybody's saying the same things that they're saying in the States, but it just, everybody has such a different accent depending on what uh, controller you're talking to. So trying to, especially when you fly with a new co-pilot and he's like, what did he say? Or she said, you know, um, being able to, it's almost like speaking a second language, even though it's all English, but broken English. I like, I like flying in Europe. I feel more like an accomplished uh, communicator. That's over funny. There. <laughs> What's one thing you always have to have with you when you're flying? Water. I always bring a, I always bring a bottle of water. That's good. Um, but now it's a little bit different because the flight attendants bring me bottles of water. So that's you're living the, the spoiled life, man. It's a, honestly, yeah, it's a little bit, um, I got to pitch myself sometimes when I'm like, you know, 17s or some other planes, you have to go bring your own coffee and your food. And every once in a while, the flight attendant will stick their head up and be like, hey, sir, you want some more coffee or snacks? I'm like, yes, yes, oh, I would. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. I don't want that black coffee crap. Make me an espresso. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'll get That's rich just quick. Yeah. All right. Those are all the rapid fire questions I have right now. So you survive. Congratulations. Uh, last question is for you is someone's following your Instagram account. Someone really wants to be an Air Force pilot. They want to go to the academy. Maybe let's say they're like 10 years old, 13 years old. What are like three tips or a couple tips that you can give them to help prepare themselves for a career or even uh, entry into the service academy? All right. So for service academy, uh, we kind of mentioned academics. So be, I mean, yeah, you got to study. Um, you got to keep trying hard for those honors classes. You got to keep trying for the the hard classes, the chemistries, the engineering, physics classes, the the math classes. Um, so having good grades is is obviously a, a prerequisite. Um, sports, I think, is crucial. 
especially, I mean, it teaches you a lot about yourself, whether you're doing like a cross country type thing and you're more of like a solo athlete or your team sports, I think then are important too, because you're kind of dealing with the conflict with teammates and through it. And it, honestly, just being uh, a lot of times I'm flying, we just say, Hey, just be an athlete, right? Like some things you're like hand-eye coordination. Like there's some things you have to just be able to do physically that I think sports kind of lends itself to. Um, and then don't sweat it. I think is the, is the third one. Like, um, sometimes things line up, say you do all those things and you're also an Eagle scout and you're the national honor society and you're, um, you know, the first chair band, whatever it is. And, but, and you, but for some reason, maybe like, like I said, your Congressman doesn't have a slot for it. Like, I mean, that's not the end all be all is that service academy. Or you can go to like the prep school and delay a year and get in later, but it's, you know, don't, get too wrapped around the axle of that being your only life goal. Because if you don't get it by the time you're 17 or 18 and you know, it goes away, you're in the life. It's certainly not over. Right. No, I love that. That's great advice. And I think that can be applied outside of service Academy and just in general, you don't get that job you really wanted. It's like, Hey, what are you going to do about it now? It's like, you got, you still have a life to live. You still have to find a way to provide for your family and your future. It's like, what are you going to do? Adapt. It's kind of like be an athlete, figure it out. Like you just yep. have to handle diversity and deal with it. And there's a uh, coach Meyer used to always tell us, I believe it was a, the, uh, there's an event and there's a response and that equals your outcome. Mm-hmm. So you can't control the event, but what you can't control is the response that you have to that event, which then is what the outcome is going to be. So you can Absolutely. control one of the two and make sure you control your response and you can take it one way, which is a good way and take not necessarily not the high road, but take a way that you can use it to your advantage and learn from it and grow, or you can be a Debbie downer and really kind of, alienate all your friends and just create a bad life for yourself. So you have the opportunity to respond anyway to that. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's pretty much you hit uh, stoicism on its head, right? Like that's yeah. a stoic philosophy for sure. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, Mike, I, I don't have anything else for you unless you think that there's anything that I, I, I severely missed and we need to talk about. No, Justin, no, I appreciate it. it was a, yeah. Like chatting with you. Yeah. It's um, a lot of fun, yeah. man. It's funny yeah. how we've never talked before other than like maybe like three lines on Instagram and how we can talk for an hour and seven minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's I know. Crazy. Yeah. Well, I guess my last thing up. is, uh, do you yeah. have any more, uh, what's your next big, um, photo? So I'm always looking for the flight attendant one. So I got okay. a couple of those. Um, the one thing I haven't done and I'm, I'll probably wait till I'm on my way out <laughs> is trying to, is trying to get a good, like, uh, selfie with the uh, VP. That'll be, that'll be a good one, but that's going to be on the, definitely on the way out. Otherwise, I got a couple flight attendant ones lined up. So when you post that selfie with the VP, that's definitely every, you letting everyone know that you're going to the airlines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that'll be my yeah, uh, yeah my punch. I'm on my sure. way out. <laughs> yeah, later, guys. This is it. Yeah, I'm, it's bye. over. That's funny. Yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on, man. I really do. Thanks, um, yeah. thanks for taking the time, and uh, I look forward to getting this episode out and telling your story. Yeah, perfect. Thanks. And that is a wrap of episode 89 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And as I said earlier, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check us out on Instagram at Pilot the Pilot, our website, pilotthepilothq.com. And also email me if you think you know someone that should be on the podcast, pilotthepilothq at gmail.com. Aviation, that's all I have for you today. And as always, happy flying.